Welcome to episode 111 of Iron Man Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 111 of Iron Man Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Uh, I'm normally saying, how you going mate? But John's actually not here today, he's over in Poland running a training camp in Poland and then I think he's off to Epic Camp next week, I'm not 100% sure on that. And then we meet up for Camp Kiakaha and then we're both off to Rote, although I am going to be doing the running of the balls of Glenbow uh, in between that. And we're both off to Rote uh, to do Ironman or Challenge Rote pretty soon after that. So we kind of backed up this interview, we did this interview last week, oh just quickly, Iron Man Talk is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com, trybuys.com and athlinks.com. So last week we met up with Dave Scott on Skype, we did an interview, it went for about an hour, I'm not really going to give you much detail now because you can just pretty much listen and see what he says, but it's a really good interview, get on, enjoy, the man is an absolute legend and one of the real pioneers of our sports, you really kind of took it from, you know, nine hours to right down to the low eights and uh Listen up, because it's a great interview. Here we go. Okay. So on today's show, we're very happy to have uh, multiple Ironman winner and one of the guys that really sort of set the bar very high for Ironman racing, especially in Kona. Um, we've got Dave Scott on the show, so welcome along, Dave. Oh, the legendary Dave Scott. Well, thank you very much. So um, we obviously want to talk a bit to Dave, a bit about um, where, where things are at with him at the moment, and also he's a man who's uh, not just been renowned as an athlete but a very very well-known coach so I want to get a few tips for you listeners out there um, and David we saw you made a bit of a comeback last year of sorts um, over there at Silverman doing the half and it was sort of uh, pitted against you against Macca how was the, the day for you? <laughs> well I don't think that was a really gallant comeback but th- <laughs> thank, you, thank you for your nice little compliment on the side uh, you know I've been involved with Silverman race for a number of years and you know it's a great great race iron distance and then they added the half and uh i was stranded out there a couple of years ago and ended up doing about three quarters of the full distance and i told frank lowry i said okay you've got chris mccormick coming i'll i'll jump into the half but i'm hardly trained and prepared so you guys and the media and frank and his pr team put the maca versus dave but i was about eight hours behind him <laughs> So, uh, you, know, I, I mean, you know, I enjoyed the race. It was fun. I mean, actually, ironically, on the swim, I felt fine. I, and I had been swimming, um, you know, pretty regularly. And, and Chris uh, actually jumped on my feet about halfway through. And I thought, well, you dog, you, you know, <laughs> young, young stud like yourself just won the Ironman. Come on, your grandpa's pulling you around the course. You get up in front. I'm going to sit on your feet. But he, but he didn't do that. So, he, you know, he gingerly jumped out of the water first and got to the swim pre. And I was about ready to bite his calf. <laughs> but as soon, as soon as we got on the bike, uh, I fumbled around trying to get my shoes on, and I never saw him again. He was gone, and I just felt terrible on the bike, absolutely dreadful. But uh, uh, the run was uh, the, run, the run was okay. I mean, I still like the you know the mental challenge of you know doing a half, or you know hopefully someday maybe doing a doing the Ironman. And uh, you know, once I got on the run, even though no one was around me, there was a few people that I caught that had gone around me on the bike, and that was you know, a little bit of redemption for an old guy. Well, you've, you've done a lot of um, different races around the world, um, and we know the Silverman's a really hard course. I mean, is it one of the hardest courses you've ever done? Obviously, you didn't do the iron distance, but how hard is it? 
Uh, it, it's extraordinarily hard. Uh, you know, it, it has about uh, 2,800 meters of climbing uh, on the bike, and it, it has a you know about a thousand meters of climbing on the run. So it's um, this is on the Ironman distance and. Uh, when I first saw a profile, I said, oh, there's, no, there's no way they can be, have that much climbing. And in the, um, the first year that they had held the event, I, you know, I just mentioned that I had planned on, on doing the swim and a relay uh, with another woman and a guy. And so I did the swim and got out, and I thought, well, maybe I'll ride my bike with her and just go halfway. And I ended up doing the entire bike leg. So I got a good taste of all that climbing uh, a few years ago. And um, you know, it's a it's a pretty brutal course, and it's you know it's just relentless. But the beauty of the course, and um, you know, I think the the mental challenge of that course for people that have have done an Ironman or, or thinking about hey, I'll, I'll just try a real tough one, it's certainly in the top three in the world. Yeah, the race was kind of you know you versus Mecca kind of thing, which was you know obviously good PR. But you know, looking at the top athletes nowadays, you know how much do they differ from the guys? What you guys were like in you know late eighties and early nineties, and you know are they the same, or is there a difference in what's happening there now? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. We still ride our bikes and you know wear our swim togs. Uh, Come on, the talks have changed. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I mean, you know, look, look, looking back, uh, and the technology has changed a lot. Of, obviously, looking at the looking at the bike and 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 what a lot of the athletes are swimming in right now, and and I, you know, I think some some of it's some of it's good. I think you know we, we've got to look at top technology and, and advance the sport. I don't like um, some of the things that are done with with the the, the drafting and and. And how they're calling the drafting in some of the longer races. You know, for example, you know, if they allow the athletes to fan out on the race, and you could take take an entire lane and uh, let the athletes really race up the hill, you're going to find out who the better athletes is. And, and this has been an issue that I've had about Hawaii is that there's a, a large peloton on the bike, and and a lot of the guys are soft pedaling a good part of it, so they don't get disqualified. But no one can be really aggressive unless they just go out outright and try to break that group, which some have done. And, and you know, so I see a little bit of complacency with some of, the, some of the athletes and not being aggressive, but at the same time, you can only extend yourself so far knowing that you've got, you know, a marathon on the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, 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 uh, the, you know, the ITU racing is just a totally different brand of racing. I mean, I, I enjoyed as a spectator, and I certainly have the utmost admiration for you know the top athletes. I know a num- number of them. Greg Bennett's here in town, and, and he and he's brilliant, and Matt Reed, and and um, you know I, it, it's it's a really really crafty event, and you and you have to be pretty pretty savvy uh, on the swim, extraordinarily aggressive, and and learn how to conserve your energy on the on the bike, and just flat out run a you know the fastest ten k you can possibly do, and it's you know that that's certainly different than what I was used to way back in the 80s. Do you think you would like that way? You know, looking back at what you were as a racer in those days, do you think you'd like racing like that now? I'm sorry, could you just repeat that again? Uh, do you think you'd like racing like how the ITU guys have to race now, or did, would it not really suit your kind of strengths? Uh, I, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I came back um, way, way, way back and started this started the sport, you know, 30-odd years ago. I didn't start it, but, it, the you know, the evolution of the sport was, 
let's just go out there and, and try to beat that guy who's sitting right next to you. Yeah. And we didn't have to worry about, um, you know, drafting rules, non-drafting and all that, all that business. It was just, okay, let's, let, let's have a swim race. And I hope I can get, beat you out of the water. And if we're there together on the bike, I'm going to try to drop you on that second hill. And, and, and that was kind of the game. And, and I enjoyed that part of it. And certainly in the longer races, you know, I enjoyed the competitive element of it and, and certainly liked, you know, to have people that I could work against and work off of. So when I, when I look at the ITU racing, I just don't think that that would have, you know, suited my talents and, and my psychological makeup. And even you know way back when. Yep. If we, if we look at Kona in particular, you um, and Mark Allen particularly used to run very very fast there, and we don't seem to see the guys these days running you know consistently um, the same sort of speed. Is there any particular reason you think that is, or are you guys just absolute machines? <laughs> Obviously, uh, stupid question. <laughs> well, I I think I think there's a I think there's. A, Nice question. <laughs> I, I think there's a you know a number of reasons, and I, I honestly don't know because I don't know you know what the athletes are doing training wise and, and and what they are not. But they're obviously missing a key element. And one of the things I when I look back when Mark and I were racing, I, I think we were pretty just matter of fact about you know and our training says we're eight, we're capable of running you know X speed per kilometer, and and that's what we're going to do. And and I know as the Years went by, and in the 80s, I kept thinking, well, you know, I, I can, I can run, a, you know, a 410 kilometer. That's that's not that hard, and I'll just string them together. And, and I know my train says, well, I can run under four minutes per kilometer. I can, you know, I can run 345 per kilometer, or whatever, you know, whatever goal we, we were looking at. And, and and when I look back at, you know, the one of the closest races in the history of the sport was 89, Mark and I raced. Going into that race, I felt very confident that, um, you know, I, I could run the, you know, six minute miles and, and six minute miles is, was two thirty seven. And I said, wow. well, you know, get, get on the bike. I can do two thirty seven. And I, you know, I really felt that Mark would be capable of possibly doing that, but, but he, he hadn't shown his brilliant running, you know, skill until that race. And, you know, we had talked about this after the 89 race that, you know, it was just something that we believed in, and therefore we're going to, if the conditions dictate it, we're going to do it. And the irony is that we, you know, we both ran under 240 in 1989. They include the transitions and the actual um, really uh, splits that you mm -hmm. see. But he, Mark was 238.57. I was 239.50 wow. or something. Because uh, the T2 was actually included in our, in our uh, run times. So looking looking ahead and watching you know a number of races that I have seen over the last uh, 15 years, uh, that lead pack that I had commented on, a, a lot of the guys I, I feel as though they're out there for the glory of sitting in that pack, and I honestly don't believe that they think they they can win the race or be in the top three, because <clears throat> every year there can be 10 or 12 guys that are relatively close getting off the bike, and in the first mile of the run, it's already fractioned. It's already over with. It's already split up. There's two guys out in the lead. There's two guys that are 200 meters behind. There's another that are two or three minutes behind. And I just think, you know, why can't these guys in the first six, six or seven minutes even stay together on the run? So when I look at that, I, it, it kind of befuddles me. I, I think that 
a lot of them probably are not putting in the training intensity at the end of their bike session so that they're capable of and, and one of burning fuel at, at the proper workload so that when they get off the bike their legs aren't depleted they're able to hang on the bike but yet when they you know they run the first kilometer on the run they're dead and and i think the second part is that you know i don't know if they really believe that they can run sub 250 or sub 245 in that race i think a lot of them are praying for a a good run at you know hope i can do 255 well that's not going to cut it mm, mm, totally not. Uh, but you know i i don't want to sound like i'm dumping on the the current breed of athletes because there is an extraordinary amount of talent out there and i think you look at craig alexander and chris mccormick uh you know they're capable of running the mid-230s they are brilliant runners yeah. they're very fast and a half and they just got to put it together they you know their times last year in uh, hawaii uh, on the run were quite good and you know the conditions prior to that uh in 05 and 06 the the weather conditions were you know, potentially eight-hour Ironman days, it was just absolutely superb, but the runs were too slow. Oh, you're really, Jim, because you led me into the next question. Do you think it's actually capable of breaking eight hours? And if so, who do you see at the moment who could possibly do it? Uh, I, I think it's going to take two or three guys together to kind of work off each other. And uh, I think Ferris, uh, you know, he was sick last year. He had a, His run times were getting better and better. He got down to 250. He's, he's a pretty strong swimmer, and he, he has the psychological tenacity on the bike i think he can really work the bike well and, and if he can you know get down the low 240s uh he might he might be one and certainly you know chris and and craig you know you've got to look at the two top guys last year and their and their right ability um if the conditions were like 05 and and 06 and i think just absolutely flawless kona days very very little win almost non-existent and actually relatively cool conditions you know, you get someone out of the water in 48 high or 49, they ride 425, and they're 240, they're under eight hours. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly doable. Um, we and I think, I think we'll, we'll see someone do that, yeah. We, we recently had um, Scott Molina on the show. We have him on fairly regularly because we're based down in Christchurch, New Zealand. And we, we sort of were really interested in, in getting a bit of a few views on some of the history of the sport, perhaps before the, the obviously the electronic age. And we always hear about, you know, the big four, you, Mark, Scott and, and Tinley. Um, other than those those guys, I mean, did you have any really tough competitors in those early, early years that perhaps don't get the, the PR and the news uh, that we hear about these days? Uh, well, you know, the, the four of us, we, 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 we raced all over everywhere, but there were, there were a number of guys that, um, that always gave us, uh, you know, fits that, uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible on names. <laughs> and I, well, my, I, I thought I'd say Mike Pig for, for sure. I mean, he, he, he was definitely one. Uh, he's a great Kiwi at Wells. What's this? Rick Wells. Uh, Rick Wells. Yeah. yeah, Rick Wells. I mean, he was a demon. Yeah, he, uh, he was you know a phenomenal athlete. I think he drank a lot of beer, but he was uh, uh, you know he was he was a brilliant athlete. Did you uh, race um, Lance? Did you race Lance Armstrong uh, much in in, your, in in his early days when he was doing triathlon? Uh, Lance who? <laughs> uh, yeah, he. Uh, oh yeah, Lance. Um, he came out when he was fifteen or sixteen. We did a couple couple races and then one in 17 and I, and people always bring me this one shot of Lance and I in a race in Miami going o- going over the only slight hill which is a, an overpass and we were together on the 
swim and together on the on the bike, and there was a third guy that I don't even, can't even recall his name. So the three of us are shown in this shot. This other guy's kind of off the picture, and Lance and I are together, and I think this is about three and a half miles into the run. And uh, I knew who he was at the time. You know, he was this cocky, arrogant kid. And, um, you know, I, I was the same age as his mother, so I said, <laughs> I said oh, God, i got to do everything in my willpower to beat this guy. And, and um, you know, I was fortunately able to beat him. But, you know, he was obviously an extraordinary talent when he was young and in this sport, but he made a wise move to switch to cycling. And you think there was a wise move? <laughs> I think so. I think he did fairly well. I mean, he owns half the United States and beyond. So. <laughs> and I, I don't think he needs to worry about paying off his. Okay, but like, let's say, let's say an athlete like of his kind of caliber nowadays, someone who's a kid who's a pretty good triathlete who could potentially be a strong cyclist. Would you recommend they go towards cycling or stay with triathlon? It's good money these days. No, I, I, I think that. Um, you know, and I get irritated by the fact, and not by your question, but more of the comment that I'll make on it, that other people view that uh, a runner or possibly a cyclist, a single sport specialist, is is potentially a better athlete than a triathlete. And, you know, the irony, when you put all three sports together, as you guys know, it's a very humbling sport. Mm. And the and the speeds that the top athletes are doing right now for the swim, the bike, and the run, regardless of the distance from sprint to Ironman distance, are extremely fast. And so you can take take a guy uh, with speculation from a cyclist and say, oh, what if Lance Armstrong did the Ironman? Well, he'd get his ass kicked. That's what would happen to yeah. him. Yeah. You know, who, who, who's he kidding? I mean, he, he, you know, he's barely running 250 fresh, and he's got... You know, 16 people massaging him during the run. <laughs> you know, he's not after 180K on the bike, and he hasn't swam, and he can barely get through it. And he's got Joan, Joan Benoit, who's 53 years old, who's pulled him along on the run. I mean, you know, nothing to discredit his seven Tour de France, but, but let's not take away from the triathletes who would club him. Yep. I mean, you know, Christy Wellington, the women's winner, would beat him handily. <laughs> you know, she, she'd be handing him lunch on the Ironman race. So, <laughs> I, you know, and I think, I think when we have, you know, these um, extraordinary triathletes that are seemingly very, very good in one sport, and cycling seems to stand out because it obviously cyclists seemingly are revered around around the world. People say, "Oh, I think he should go to cycling." My feeling is that they, hey, he should stick to the stick to triathlon and work on his bike and run and see if he can be a world class athlete in this sport. Nice. A couple of random questions. Um, you know, you would have raced in pretty much every corner of the globe. Is there any um, one, any one particular race that stands out as, as the most memorable for you, memorable for you over your career? Oh. You know, I, I mean, a lot of times it's uh, also the competitive nature of it, not, not just necessarily the uniqueness or the scenery or, or whatever. I remember doing a, a race in uh, August, or excuse me, in April of '89 uh, on the Gold Coast in Australia, and uh, it was uh, you know three-quarter distance, similar to Nice. Um, you know, four case. I think it was near a four case swim, 120k bike, 30k run, and and. Um, it was right after a number of us had raced in St. Croix and really flown around halfway around the world and, and arrived in Australia and did this race. And 
it was an extraordinarily competitive race. I mean, I had the, I had the lead. Um, Mark and I got out of the water. I had a great bike leg, and I had about four minutes on him. And I think to almost to date, it was one of the fastest runs at any distance ever that Mark put in on that 30K. I ran well. Mark mm-hmm. ran extraordinarily well, and he caught me, and I think he ran 138, something wow. for 30K, 5.20 per mile. Uh, I mean, it was, and, I, and I was 142, which for me, I said, yeah, I'm running very well, but that guy <laughs> just went right by me. So, you know, that, that was a race I, I remember well. And, you know, I think racemen, you know, Bermuda, I remember that extremely well because it was such a, you know, small little road. Uh, Ironman Japan, first time I did it in 1985, we had no idea where we were going, and I was in the lead, and, and I had a, uh, you know, there was a, a, a policeman, and we would be on seemingly a, uh, a rural highway, and then all of a sudden you'd be on a like an interstate that was just totally crowded, and then you get on a bike lane. It was the it was the craziest bike course I think I've ever ever ridden, and, and uh, about halfway through the run, there was a typhoon that was coming across the continent. And everyone was worried about well, we might get a little little wet. Well, it just was this deluge, and 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 I finished, and I was just totally soaked, but. Within an hour, the infield where the finish was, it had turned into this floating bog. I mean, people were coming in. There was about 15 inches of water. It was wild. <laughs> I just thought, you know, that was, you know, it was a great day. Actually, probably my, my first race that I ever did was really one of my most memorable ones. No, no, no aid people, no police at any of the intersections. Uh, it was in November in San Francisco in 1976 and started off with a, about a 15k bike to begin with and of course no rules uh, you do whatever you want and I was just wearing a pair of tennies and uh, the second leg was a was the run and I wasn't really going to run because I was having knee trouble then but I somehow salvaged the uh, four mile run and then the last leg obviously was the swim we jumped in the bay and November in San Francisco it's it's frigid any month but uh, the, you know the water temperature was about uh, Eight degrees Celsius and no, no no wetsuits. So you know we just jumped into the bay and there was a couple of guys that were hanging onto these anchors. I mean they had total body cramps. They were just you know they were ahead of me and they hit that cold water and everything just seized up. And I remember I got in that water and I said, okay, okay, I'm not going to die yet. And I saw these guys that you know were nearly dead and I kind of hollered. As I as I swam by, you guys okay? And I didn't really listen for their answer because <laughs> anyway, I ended up winning that first race and won a won a frozen turkey. That's around our Thanksgiving. Time. <laughs> That's a traditional <laughs> traditional meals and turkey. So I won a turkey for my first race. Wow, this is a cool sport. <laughs> when, when, when you were a kid, what was your sport? Like when you were younger, you know, like obviously. You, uh, you oh, I did I did a lot of a lot of a lot of different sports. I mean, I. I played basketball. I, I actually was on a golf course. I played golf. I had a 13 handicap when I was about 13 years old and played a lot of golf. But uh, I played baseball, football, and then uh, I swam all when I started you know, fairly young, uh, you know, during the summers, and then took up water polo when I was in high school and ended up swimming and playing water polo in high school and college. And uh, started running just to supplement my training. I was always kind of a training training dog. So I, even when I was in college, I always tried to make my other teammates work out a little bit harder. I always thought they were a little bit soft. <laughs> and so I was running and, and lifting weights and doing other things. And then uh, 
they didn't call them duathlons, but in the, in the mid '70s there was a there was a bike uh, run race and and one of the first events. And actually, Scott Molina was in. I don't know if Scott mentioned this, but this was down in South San Francisco. He was 15 and I was 22, and it was a uh, swim run race, uh, very cold water again, and no wetsuits. And I actually thought I was a, in the lead. I got out of the swim and and. Uh, did the run and I thought I'd won and when I came across the finish line they said oh no some young kid Scott Molina he won the race he's about three or four minutes ahead of you <laughs> oh really well that's a good yeah. story yeah. so uh, yeah a lot of, lot of stories it, I mean talking, looking at your, your background there it sounds like you, you did a bit of everything is that sort of in terms of, you know, do you get parents coming to you saying, watch your little Jimmy do, he wants to be a triathlete, he's 10 years old. Is, is that sort of your advice at, at that young age when they're going through their early sort of teens is a good variety of sports is, is going to be best if they want to be a triathlete? Or do you think early specialisation's better? Oh, I, I, like to, I like to see kids do some type of aerobic activity because, I, uh, you know, here in the States, you know, more than half the kids are overweight or obese, and so we got an epidemic here in this country, and the kids are lazy as heck. So, you know, I like to encourage, not just in the school system, but, you know, as a parent, I have three kids, to have them do some kind of aerobic skill, but I like to have them do a wide variety of things. I, I, I my, uh, my kids, and I'm not, the, you know, the best parent in the world, but, uh, I, you know, we've always encouraged our kids just to you know, to try lots of different things, and they kind of gravitated eventually into what they, you know, really enjoyed doing. I, my two older boys are, are Nordic skiers, and that's their big sport, but they're, they're quite talented on the bike. They're good on the snowboard. They're pretty good at basketball. They can, they can swim okay. They play ping pong. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, uh, yeah, I think they played a lot of soccer for three or four years. I mean, I think they, you know, give them lots of different choices. They'll figure it out, and if, if it's part of, you know, your uh, a parent's regime or adult's regime, your, 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 your kids will follow it. But, you know, I see parents now. I've got a 12-year-old daughter, and she's just a mediocre soccer player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she, I mean, yeah, she's just marginal, you know. Yeah. And she plays on this team. They don't care if they really win or lose. I mean, 10 minutes later, they're more worried about, let's go get something to eat. And the parents, a lot of the parents are just absolutely just, I mean, they're just pulling the rock. They said the kids did this, the kids did this. They said, I don't care. You know, I mean, you know, I'd like them to be competitive. I get mad when they don't try. But, you know, I always tell the parents, hey, why don't you go work out? You probably feel better about yourself rather than that. You work. So just, just no, lastly, before we move on to the training tips, um, your, what was your what was your um, your motivation during the day? You know, in your kind of peak time, you know, what really drove Dave Scott as an athlete? Uh, my, my biggest drive was just um, mentally. I I liked I liked to play the game uh, because I I wasn't involved in a group, not because I'm a hermit or a recluse, contrary to what people people think. I'm actually. <laughs> reasonably outgoing. Uh, no, we picked up on that. <laughs> I, it, well, there, wasn't, there, there, there wasn't another triathlete in town. There wasn't another professional athlete. And so, you know, here I had kind of gravitated in this sport that seemingly had so many different um, variables to it that I said, you know, there's no way I can reach my potential in a year. I'm just going to, you know, keep, I'm going to have to, you know, think of games that I can play and really that's mental games when I was exercising to, you know, try to push myself. And, and that became my trigger 
and my uh, mechanism to, you know, really, you know, provide the, the, the platform, the foundation, so that I could improve from, you know, one week to, to one month to one year. And so when I go out and ride, you know, I, I you know, almost <laughs> to sickness, I would, I would ride the same course, you know, four, four times a week with a little bit of div- variation on the other three. And, you know, a good part of what I did early on, you know, I, I did a lot of time trial. I did a lot of sub-threshold to threshold type training. We just, you know, essentially just time trial. And I'd get out and just try to go as hard as I can. I'd change my gearing a little bit. I'd try to stand up longer. And it just became, a, you know, a, a huge mental game. To, you know, at a fault after a while, you know, I needed to you know, try to surround myself with other people, to be in a group, to try to go out with other people. And, you know, my, my preference is to have a little bit of that always now because it's, it's good motivation for me just to, um, you know, keep my sanity. But er, early, early on, I mean, you know, mentally, I took a lot of pride in just being able to try to push myself to a certain level. And, and I think that that seemingly permeated out into the competitive world because people didn't know me, they didn't really ask, but they felt as though I had seemed, you know, had this, this psychological power that was above the, you know, above theirs, and it, it gave me a little bit of a crutch or a lift to get, you know, for, um, you know, the main competitions, and, and certainly going into Hawaii every year, uh, I didn't race usually the last six weeks leading up to that race, and and I, I just was really solely focused on my train and I always felt like I could elevate wherever I was, I would come up in the last six weeks and I felt as though my competitors recognized that. So we wanted to tap into the, the Dave Scott knowledge um, bank. The wise man that you are, Gandalf. <laughs> um, I've read uh, you know, some of the stuff you've written in the past and I, I know you're a bit of an advocate in terms of strength training. Um, when it comes, if you're setting a strength program for someone, is it? Do you follow sort of typical guidelines in terms of what a, a you know personal trainer is going to give somebody, or do you sort of, um, you know, do you, do, do you have many triathlon specific exercises or different periodization, etc.? Uh, well, it's a bit, it's a big question. Um, everyone's different, and so I don't think you can just all of a sudden say, oh, you need to do this during these three months, you need to do this during the next month. I, you, know, you can't push a button and just say that's the proper program for, for everyone. And in, in saying that, it, it, inherently, most triathletes, both genders, are pretty weak around their um, upper glutes, around their hips, their lower abs, their rotator muscles around their shoulder, their whole shoulder girl, their, and their mid-back. They're almost across the board, weak in that area. And doing specific strength training to isolate uh, um, those areas is really, really beneficial and something that should be done year-round. It shouldn't just be done, I'm just going to do this in the off-season and then stop for four months. And that's ludicrous. I mean, I I don't know how many athletes, oh, I just do my strength training, you know, for three months and then I ride my bike for the next four. Well, that's that's just crazy. Uh, and I think it should complement and supplement your training program. So you should have periodization in your in your program to complement your your training and and your race schedule. I also feel as though a lot of the um, triathletes do you know come into the gym and I see it all the time where they do just very very little light light weights and they do small muscle movements. 
Well, the lightweight and the small muscle movements can be done for the uh, external internal rotator muscles of your hips and your glutes. Those are great. And they can be done with a stretch cord, and they can be really short movement, and they're extraordinarily fatiguing and very beneficial. But to, to really elevate um, your levels of growth, growth hormone, to really boost that up, you need to do multi-joint major muscle movements. So, uh, you know, for, for example, anything that combines your legs and your glutes your stomach, low back, shoulders, and arms in one exercise is, is the ultimate exercise. And, and, and doing like a, a squat press or squat press jump or a, a straight arm press with a squat over your, over your head, uh, those two exercises, as an example, are, are great exercises. And I like them, even though they're not specific to riding a bike or swimming. They enhance that whole core strength, glute strength, low back, stomach, shoulder strength, uh, your lower legs are, are firing as well. So I like combining these major muscle joint exercises throughout the whole year and also supplement that with these small little ones. And a lot of them you can do with a stretch cord or just a simple elevated block, doing uh, stability balance and strength stuff like on a, you know, on a single leg. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of it. And I think for injury preventative reasons, it's huge. And with that said, I wish I could get rid of, rid of all of my injuries. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured I figured it out for everyone else, but I just got a few ailments myself. <laughs> so if, if if you're working with um, an age group athlete who can only maybe squeeze in, you know, maybe nine to maybe maximum of twelve hours per week, you, you get them doing um, strength work all year, and, and approximately how much per week, um, say, in, in the racing season. And I know yeah. that it's a case-by-case case basis, but just generally. Yeah, good question. Yeah, um, tw- Twice a week, they can reap the benefits. And you can take anywhere from between about 10 to 18 minutes. And you can actually, and very specific, and, and if, if I had someone, and I'll just say, okay, you're, you're weak in your glutes, I, I would do three to four exercises that have maybe three or four steps to them. For example, uh, hip, hip uh, extension, hip abduction, uh, hip hip flexion with a stretch cord on a single leg. Those are all great exercises. Doing a single leg step exercise where you're standing like on a on a uh, elevated platform or a big phone book, uh, and stepping forward, stepping back, stepping to the side, and putting you know light dumbbells in your hand and swinging opposite. So you're not working in the same plane that you are when you're running and you're cycling. Yeah. You can do those very very fast and. Surprisingly, the fatigue point on those is anywhere between about 20 seconds to 40 seconds. You go to the next leg, do it again, and you do two to three sets on, on each leg. You can rip through your exercises pretty fast. It doesn't take long. So, mm-hmm. you know, in under 20 minutes, you can actually get a pretty good strength uh, session and, and reap the benefits of doing it twice a week. Is, is that optimum? No, it's not, it's not great. I mean, 20 to 40 minutes, and you can add a lot more to it. And if you can go three times a week, that's better. Dave, you, you, know, you mentioned your body has a few injuries and stuff, and you're obviously a bit of an older athlete nowadays. You know, first of all, wow, you know. <laughs> you know you, what, was that, what was that comment? I didn't hear it. Yeah. Don't worry, older. you didn't hear it. You didn't hear it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm old. That's for darn sure. No, but you know, okay. So first of all, how do you, you have your do you have your swim togs on? Let's race. I'm ready for <laughs> okay, they will leave the competition it. with Bevan. I'll be way old back. No, but um, I'm shaved down. I, actually, I'm sitting here in my bike clothes. I finished. 
I just rode 95K so I could get here on time to talk to you, goofballs. <laughs> You're, yeah. First of all, how does the body feel as a more mature athlete? <laughs> and, and second of all, how do you counter that? You know, as you know, because obviously training someone who's in the early twenties or thirties is different to training someone who's more mature. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that was very, very eloquent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the the more mature athlete, the older one is what you're implying, <laughs> and. Uh, the, the, the older athlete can be older in their early 30s if they've abused their body and they're not, and it also depends on their genetic predisposition, which is usually on the, you know, having a, a, a number of things in their genetic pool that aren't favorable. But let's, let's assume that someone has not done any strength training, they haven't eaten well, they've gained weight, they're hypertensive. Um, you know, we can list a whole host of bad things, but now they're doing something that's saying, hey, I'm going to exercise and turn things around. So you can take an early 30s person, you can take someone in their mid-50s like me, as you were implying. Um, and, you know, you can look at someone in their 30s and their 50s and say, gee, you know, that 50-year-old person is is staying in better shape. So when I look at at age, you kind of have to look at their background and what they've been doing, what their training history has been, and also what, what their genetics are. But, but I think looking at, looking at the more seasoned athlete, let's talk about someone 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, one of the biggest um, downfalls of aging is that you can lose lean muscle mass. And when you lose lean muscle mass, you start l- losing your performance capabilities you start losing that, that rebound or recoil when your foot's in that stance phase and running. You know, you can look at a 50-year-old guy and say, gee, he's got pretty good running form, but it looks like his feet stick on the ground too, too long. You start seeing extraneous body, you know, body moves where their elbows go out to the side or they drop a shoulder or they get internally rotated more. You know, they end up stooping, stooping over a little bit more. A lot of that can be um, uh, negated and negated, you know, by a lot in that cardiovascular fitness, that that loss can be negated if an older athlete makes sure that they continue to do or include some type of strength training, and I call it injury prevention, and, and also most people will benefit by stretching, and, and you have to do that, and you have to fit that in your schedule, and you can trigger some of the stretches and some of the strength exercises just by doing it multiple times during the day. Once you learn how to, you know, stretch your quads and get your hip and hip extension and stretch it properly, while you're on the phone, you know, giving a, an interview, can you do some stretching like I do? You can work on it all the time. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the second thing is that you have to keep the intensity up in your train at, at least three times a week to really reap the benefits. If you're just doing slow aerobic uh, distance and, and energy expenditure, you can maintain a fit body, but you're not going to, or a healthy body, but you're not going to maintain a competitive body. So it depends on what, on what you want to do. If you want to still maintain that competitiveness and that resiliency that you have, you have to add a little bit of intensity. And I think when people say, oh, I'm older, I can't do that, I don't buy it. I recognize age. I, I'm aging. I, you know, I'm a I'm a baby boomer. I'm right there. I'm 54 and a half. So you know, I'm no young kid anymore. And I know that I'm not as strong as I was when I was 35. Yep. 
So but that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, roll over and just do a couple toe touches in the morning. We'll get you, we'll get you coming on Epic Camp. <laughs> coming to Epic, those are too easy. I told a couple of... Here we I go. Told, <laughs> I, told, I told Gordo and another, another kid, I think he's a Kiwi Ben. He's uh, here in Boulder right now. Yeah. And he said, oh, I've been to Gordo's Epic Camp and... Better. I said, well, you better you, you better start training. Or you're going to get out of shape. You know, I think, <laughs> uh, I, think those, I, I think that Epic Camp has a nice title, but uh, you know, to me, it's it's a swim, bike, run, and your other other two areas are getting compromised. So, <laughs> more power to you for padding your resume with an Epic Camp. But if you want to get in shape, you better do something different. I'll be thinking of you as I'm going over those coals in Italy and thinking, this is yeah, this good, is soft all right. <laughs> Uh, one of the other areas uh, I see you do a um, fair amount of writing on and, and also um, I've seen you do some podcasts in, in the past is nutrition. Um, I know things have changed a lot since the, since the 80s and I, and I read you used to eat figs one year at, at Ironman. Um, what, what changes have, have, have been that you think are perhaps a little bit negative because there's so much marketing hype out there and, and um, I think sometimes people get a bit carried away there. Do you think do you think it's all gone a bit too uh, marketing crazy? Or do people just need to stick to the basics? Well, I mean, the the marketing machine. We have a lot of gullible athletes <laughs> that are out there, and so if someone comes up with a new formulation or new theory, uh, there's two sides to it. One, people are looking for healthy alternative, healthy dietary alternatives, and the second thing is that we're looking for seemingly some functional food or drink that's going to make us go faster, you know, while we're at training or exercising. Well, first off, it's hard, it's hard to separate food into these small little, comp, little compounds. I mean, you can't take a, a pill and say, that pill is broccoli. If you take that pill, you're going you're gonna to eat some broccoli. And if you take this pill... You're going to eat some red peppers. I mean, you know, you can't do, you can't separate food out like that. But but nutritionists do, and I think it's unfortunate. Of, you know, our, I mean, our supplement industry is very very high, and there are good supplements that that we need. But a lot of it's a lot of it's based on on hype. We didn't really know back in the '80s on on what to eat, and so we kind of experimented with a lot of different things. And you know, back in the '80s, it was all about for health reasons, it was all about just eating carbohydrates. Don't eat fats. Don't eat protein. Just eat as many carbohydrates as you can. And, you know, for a lot of us, that's we ate 80% of our diet or 70 80% in carbohydrates. And, well, that was a huge, huge mistake. And in training, and uh, we'd say, well, we need, to, we need to eat a lot of bananas and drink a lot of water. That'll get us through. And I gravitated to figs, and, you know, they're calorically dense and their water content is fairly high but they're loaded with fiber well they're not the best kind of uh, fruit fruit to eat as well there, there there is there is a lot of hype out there but i think we you still have to blend the the science and the science that has been applied that's that's applicable to you know your sport and under the same type of workloads and then you also have to to look at you know what are the top athletes using? Well, the top athletes somehow have figured out what works. We're all a little bit different. And then lastly, what works for you? So, you know, there's, there's kind of a blend. I mean, I gave a clinic this last weekend in, in to the, uh, down in Southern California to uh, Orange County Triathlon Club. And, you know, we, we had two long discussions on nutrition. 
and we're figuring out, you know, grams of carbohydrate and grams of protein, grams of fat, and how frequently you should eat, and what your sweat rate is, and how much sodium you should take in, and should you take an extra magnesium. Well, a lot of the science tells us, yes, we, we need this, 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 but again, everyone is different. We assimilate food a little bit different. With that said, there are parameters that people should follow, and one of the biggest mistakes that I run into as a as a coach or teacher is that people come to me and they said, oh, my, I had GI problems, you know, I had to stop and jump behind the bushes, you know, 15 times on the run, and, and I usually back up and I say, what what'd you have in the morning for breakfast or the night before? And then, you know, what did you have early on the bike? And the single largest problem is not the kind of food that they had, is that they're eating too much too soon mm. or they're drinking too much too soon. You know, pe- people think that they need to take in X amount of calories and replace those calories that they've expended. Well, you know, surprisingly, we can get by with fewer calories and our stomach actually likes it when we're not loading it up. You know, you can't have a ham sandwich and a milkshake and something else in a transition area and think you're going to have a fast bike ride. <laughs> you're certainly not going to have it when you get to the run. I mean, people get, people can survive in the bike because they're not working with gravity, but as soon as they get to the run, oh boy, it's a disaster. <laughs> so um, in terms of when you give people recommendations, do you try to push them more towards sort of liquid uh, a liquid sort of nutrition? We're talking an Ironman race here, or do you like to... In- generally recommend solids or any general guidelines? Oh, yeah, big cherry pie is good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, fluid replacement drinks um, are, the, are the best choice. The fluid replacement drink that, and, and again, I like to look at both sides. We didn't do this in the 80s because we didn't know, but and the Accelerator was the first one that has uh, carbohydrate and protein, and they know that a little bit of protein has a synergistic effect of, you know, sparing muscle glycogen and reducing some of the muscle breakdown that you have. And, and you know, they do work. And a lot of the manufacturers after Accelerate have, have kind of followed that model that your primary primary delivery system should, should be in liquid because your stomach's like a drip system. Once that whatever you put into your tank goes into your stomach, it has to drip into your, your intestine and go into your bloodstream and enhance that, that blood sugar. If you put in a solid, water's drawn to your GI tract. Some of us can get away by taking in something that's, that is solid, but it also depends on the intensity. Ironman distance, because the intensity is lower, it should be food replacement drink and then gels that have the protein and, and uh, carbohydrate. And then your third choice should be you know, possibly the bars. But you, you shouldn't switch that around. Um, some people have difficulty with the fluid replacement drink and gels and water work seemingly as, as well. And there's been actually very good scientific studies that have shown that. The problem with just the gels and the water is that if people are heavy sweaters and they can categorize themselves as heavier, he, heavy sweaters, heavy to moderate sweaters, you're not going to get enough sodium in from the gels. And that, that sodium helps really retain that cell full of water. So... You know, people that have um, are predisposed to cramping and fatigue at the end. It it, it could be as simple, and I'm not going to try to give a diagnosis for, for thousands of athletes on your show, but it could be simply that they need to actually boost their sodium intake slightly. And a lot of the fluid replacement drinks have um, 
anywhere between 150 to 250 milligrams for uh, 250 mils. And, you know, they're starting to break that up a little bit, which, which I think is a good idea. So um, specifically for Kona, obviously there's some, some different requirements over there, you know, one being you should drink more, which is probably fairly obvious. Is there any other recommendations you might have for people who are going to particularly hot weather races um, that perhaps don't uh, have the same sort of conditions where they might live? Well, I think the comment you just made is that is, is a comment that a lot of people can get in trouble with is, is that, and I've heard this from athletes and other pseudo-specialists that say, well, you've got to drink, 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 drink lots of water. And, and that can be a you know, can be a fatal error if, mm-hmm. if you're setting yourself up the day before the race by trying to load up on fluids. I mean, w- you know, we're, we're humans. We're not camels. And we can't <laughs> store an infinite amount of fluid just by saying, well, I'm going to keep drinking this fluid replacement drink, so I got a lot for the race. Um, it doesn't work that way. One, as you taper for the race, you don't really want to load up on extra electrolytes. The only one possibly being the night before where you take additional sodium for being a heavy sweater just the night before. And you certainly don't want to load up on water because you can set yourself up for, you know, this potential problem called hyponatremia where you're lowering, lowering your, uh, your um, sodium levels. And the, the symptoms, early symptoms, seemingly look like dehydration. And you can just exacerbate that problem by taking more water. Well, taking more water and, and a lot of times it causes you know initial swelling of your your extremities, your fingers and and feet, your uh, legs, arms. You'll feel a bloating bloatedness, and then you know there's actually been several reported deaths from it when people have this you know brain swelling, and it's just from reducing that, that sodium concentration so low as you get dehydrated and drinking water. That water is just like a sieve. You drink the water, and then you end up just excreting it right out of you. You don't retain it because Again, that sodium is a magic electrolyte that does that. So, in a long-winded answer, you're, um, you know, in in Hawaii or any other hot, 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 you know, type of race, and we, you know, they're around the world where they can be hot. But Brazil, Malaysia, Canada's been hot. Um, we need to be careful about telling athletes to drink too much too early, and really gravitate more towards a fluid replacement drink or in, or enhancing their total drink. Uh, uh, fluid volume by increasing a little, their sodium a little bit. Nice. There you go, tips from the master. Tips from the legend himself. So, what's Dave Scott up to nowadays, Dave? What are you doing with yourself nowadays, and what's your kind of your plan for the next maybe year or two? <laughs> well, I'm sitting here at my desk with my cycling gear on. I'm anxious to get off this phone because I'm going to go swim and, and uh, go to the gym with my son because I wasn't one coming to work today, but it's been a real treat talking with you guys. Uh, We've given you an hour of free I, stretching time. It, yeah, 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 come on. <laughs> if I can... Uh, I've had a heel issue that this bottom. I have this calcaneal bursitis, and, and I, I have to keep working on it. It's better than, it, better than it has been. I've had lots of physical therapy in the last two months, and I've got a new look bike, which is a brilliant bike, unbelievable machine. And I have a little lower profile, and I've been riding this thing is pretty hard. And I, I think because of my heel issue and just having sort of a limited flexibility in my hips, which I kind of work on, I've got this hamstring issue. So my running has been curtailed. If I can run, 
and I can run for a month with you know minor <laughs> issues, not major ones. I'll end up coming back and doing Kona this year. No, I, oh, really? I, I, I want to do it again, and I'm running out of time. My time is kind of what I see, just uh, what I think I can do age-wise and motivation-wise, which is really the big factor, and I don't want to wait a lot longer. I mean, I'm realistic what I think I could do if I could run, and, and I know I'm not going to run 240, <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to r- ride 430, but... Um, I'll keep my guesses to myself. Right now. Oh, I gotta gosh. get. I gotta get to the starting line first. If if I can run, I'll probably do a few races for the remainder of the year, and uh, and then hopefully um, finish up in Conan and possibly do a little bit of Silverman as well. Cool. But I'm also coaching. Uh, I have a group here in Boulder, and um, we get a lot of Kiwis yeah. and athletes that come around. You know, this time of the year, the weather's quite nice here in Boulder, and so I, I have a couple swim swim sessions that get very full, and I have a running session that I do, and uh, a little bit of strength and injury prevention um, with a, with a small group. I do some individual consultations, so I have athletes kind of around the world. A lot of a lot of the programs I do right now, I I I like tweaking people's schedule. You know, if they got a big race coming up, and they say, hey, I don't I don't know what I've been doing. I need some guidance. You know, how are these sets that I'm doing? What do you think of my work volume? And, you know, I like sort of unraveling, the, you know, people's programs and, and, you know, kind of piecing it back together. So I, I do a lot, of, a lot of those via um, email and um, creating some video stuff. And I have a, uh, a number of little packages with, that have these strength and injury prevention exercise that we talked about. Great. Uh, so where can, uh, where can people get hold of those? Through your website? Yes, you can find that through my website, yeah. Which is? www.davescottink.com. Okay. And I know you did a couple of podcasts a while ago um, with, I think, Simon Lessing just doing some nutrition ones. Have you got any sort of plans to do more, any more podcasting or video podcasting, anything like that? Yeah, we're going to um, – I just – this clinic that I just did over the weekend, um, I'm – I'm a lot more interested in, in doing video format. I've you know I've written for a long time. I still write for some magazines, but uh, we're trying to do more video pieces. And so even at these clinics that I give, we had a huge part of uh, Saturday uh, where it was videotaped, and we're going to try to you know put these in short little pieces so people can download them, and and uh, I might add a little bit of copy to that. You know, I thought about creating you know larger bigger dvds i have one on nutrition that's out right now we had a series that we we're interested in doing but i think just the way the media is right now you know p- people want to look at something quick and then go to something else and yeah. and so if i can give you know a, a quick tip on on swimming i and i have uh, we did about 30 of them for uh, active.com and they're on their website right now they're short little pieces we're going to try to expand those a little bit, but, but also just use them from, you know, when I'm out there with my, my swim group and we get a camera doing that so, you know, people can see that, you know, I'm a total goofball and, you know, I'm, I'm not as fluid and uh, brainy and science-like as some people think, you know, I just, you know, I'm just a regular old bloke. Just a regular Joe, you know. We'll um, yeah. we'll be putting some links up on our site through to, to Dave's site, so you guys can gather all that information. As you can you can hear from the interview today, there's uh, 
He's a knowledgeable man and there's plenty of information out <laughs> there. wealth of knowledge he is. Yes. There's no denying it. So you've had your, um, your hour of stretching and we very much thank you for your time and we'll uh, let you head off the gym now. So thanks again and yeah. um, all the very, very best good. for, for Kona this My year. My pleasure chatting with you guys. All right, well, good enough. Cool. Good enough, yeah, Cheers. Cool, man. Thanks for your time. See ya. So there we have our interview with Dave Scott, the legendary Iron Man triathlete that he is. Uh, it was a pretty good interview. So anyway, uh, sponsors time. We have Athlinks.com. Now, John did tell me off last week because I did put the blog entry to Athlinks in the middle part of the content section of www.ironmantalk.com, but I didn't put it at the blog part. So with the blog at the moment, we've got two kind of happening. We've got the old blog and the one at Athlinks. Preferably you go on Athlinks one, but what we're looking to do there is that each week we're going to be putting the blog entry on Athlinks. So if you want to contribute to it, it's really important that now's the time you go and join Athlinks if you aren't already a part of Athlinks. Athlinks is a great way to keep in contact with your community, create little communities yourself with your own training buddies and stuff and you know, see what everyone's up to and also, you know, rival against each other and stuff like that. Once you join up, make sure you join up to the Iron Man Talk groups uh, page and then you can be part of our cool crew and it'd be really great. And also just check out their articles. Uh, Troy sent me through some couple articles this week as well and that was really great to see. Next up we have Coffees of Hawaii, coffeesofhawaii.com for the world's best coffee. And, and I was talking on the show a few weeks ago about how buying coffee is a great gift and I really think... You know, I was, onto, I was onto a gym there because my dad, he's turned 51, he's quite a young man, my old man was for a dad, and uh, considering I'm 30, we, we started young and in my family, and uh, my dad is the hardest man to buy for, and one thing I know about being in Bali with my dad is that he loves coffee, you know, he'd get up in the morning and he'd just go, oh, Bev, I need coffee now, and we'd go down and we'd have the free, you know, smorgasbord breakfast at the restaurant, and he'd have like five or six coffees. And it's one of those things that, because it's a real high quality product, that you know you're giving someone a gift that they love and they're going to use, you know, pretty much every day. And they're going to, you know, it's it's just that next level of present. And for people like my dad, who are impossible to buy for, not my dad's just hopeless to buy for. And I think you'll find most males are like that. Well, maybe not. Maybe a few of you guys know what you want. But there's a lot of people out there who are hard to buy for. And things like coffee are a great option. So when you're thinking of presents next up for someone in your family, and your dad or just anyone, maybe maybe your partner may give you an indication of what they want. But you never know. When you're thinking of presents, just think of the coffees of Hawaii. Order it early so it gets in time. And, uh, you know, their packages are really nice. And they may even have a gift set. I'm not on the website at the moment, but I'm sure they've got some gift sets there to help make the package look a little bit better. And, you know, I tell you what, the great thing about that gift, actually, as I'm thinking right now, is that they'll be thinking of you every time they have that coffee. And if you get it to last, if you buy enough of it, oh, you're in the good books for a long time. So that's coffeesofhawaii.com. Lastly, we have trybuys.com. Now, they must be um, doing the bike, the Sipo bike, pretty soon now. Like They sent us an email last week saying it's been drawn pretty soon. So if you're not in there now, check out the website, www.trybuys.com, and get on there now. While you're there, check out the specials. It's got lots of great specials. Also, just check out the gear. I've, I've got my new shoes, and uh, I got some uh, two pair of cycling shoes not so long ago, and it's quite cool because subconsciously, without me even knowing, I managed to choose a pair of shoes that actually match the color of my bike. So I was out riding today, and I have to say, I'm looking so fashion. Really great product. Um, I even took my shoes into my local bike shop, Bike HQ, uh, yesterday, and I said, whoa, these are really cool-looking shoes. So one thing about tri is they have pretty much all the best products. So check it out. 
you know, free shipping overseas for any order over $200 US. So as John would say, and I'm missing him today, as John would say, it's a no-brainer. So that's trybuys.com. Just once again, athlinks.com, coffeesofhawaii.com, and trybuys.com. So over the next few weeks, the show is going to be slightly different. We're not really sure how it's going to go. Uh, we'll make sure there is a show out every week. John is going to do some epic camp interviews, and we're going to do a couple of Skype shows ourselves. Uh, and then once I get to Camp Kiakaha, which is in a month from now, uh, we'll, I'll obviously make something work there, and then we'll have the right interviews. Uh, but we'll make it work. It's our job to deliver, and we'll deliver. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, other than that, my trainings, it's actually nice to be back home. I've been out for riding about the last four days. I went and did a long 165 myself solo today and had a really good ride. Um, it's interesting for this road experience for me because I've been traveling so much. I just, my goal, like last year I was so focused on being the nine-hour man. And this year that's not really my focus. This year it's just about getting out there and I'll, ideally if I could have a really good marathon where I don't blow in the last 10, I'd be a happy man. What that means time-wise, I don't really know. And so it's kind of interesting in how that changes your focus in training. Uh, I'll talk to you a bit about this later on and how when you have to race a nine-hour Ironman, you have to take a lot more risks. Well, if you have to take, I suppose, any race that's a little, if you go for a time goal that's faster than what you currently are, you have to take risks. And I think back to New Zealand last year where uh, I knew I had to do a sub-five bike because realistically anything lower than a sub-three run was pretty much, you know, three-hour Ironman marathon for me was what I thought my limit was, and I had to be quite aggressive on the bike for that reason, and um, and then, you know, obviously in the last 10k of the run I blew up, but it's interesting to see, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if this approach of not really necessarily focusing on time will give me a better time, or if I will end up not having a great time, I don't know, we'll wait and see, but anyway, so I've been training hard, uh, Ah, oh, what else did I tell you? You'll find out more. The girl's going well. It's sensational times. And uh, that's pretty much it. I'm pretty sure you're sick of hearing from me right now. So that's this week's show. I hope you enjoyed the Dave Scott interview. Thank you very much for that. And go check out his website for all his great stuff. Um, what is it? I'm Russ. I'm Mendon. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. <laughs>